Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So happy Mother's Day. <laughs> happy Mother's Day, Mom. I didn't get to see you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so today we are continuing on our study to the road less traveled. And we have three more weeks <clears throat> that we're, we're going to be working through this until we are completely finished. I, I said 12 weeks, and I think I have pretty much kept it to exactly 12 weeks. So uh, <laughs> before we go too far down this road, I wanted to give a point of clarification to something that we discussed last week. Um, Jeff Sanchez, Sanchez and I were, were talking about um, one specific point that came up, and it was specifically about the angel that was sent out to proclaim the gospel. And we talked about how it should be encouraging that the mission that we have been sent out on is the same mission that this angel has been sent out on. Um, and the point of clarification that Jeff and I kind of were, were discussing that I think is important for us all to be aware of is something that, that hopefully we, we all kind of are already aware of, and that is that we do not command angels to do things for us. We do not command angels to protect us. We, do not, we don't have that, that level of authority. Angels are doing what God is telling the angels to do. And in this specific circumstance, the angels are doing the same thing that we're doing. And so that, that's why there's this, um, this working together that, that is taking place to see God's mission fulfilled. Um, and so, and that's it. That, that's just the specific point is that making sure that there's a clear understanding that we are not the ones directing the angels to to go out and to assist in this, that they are fulfilling a mission that was given to them by God. And that is a mission that they've received from, from the very beginning. We are doing it in, in our time. And so that's, that's the, the point for us to look at. And so this morning, we're going to continue on in the book of Revelation, specifically through chapters 15 and 16. Many times... When there are people that, that don't know Jesus, when you're having a conversation with somebody about God or, you know, about religion or, you know, whatever the case may be, I think there are some specific go-to points that, that maybe people have in their back pocket to, to really, you know, get that Christian, get that person who's, who's following God, right? And so there, the, I think one of those back pocket items is, you know, if God is real, if, if this is the case, then why is there so much evil and suffering in the world, right? That, that's a, a common conversation starter <laughs> that, that comes up. Help me understand how he's so loving, and yet the world could be so broken. How, do, how does this make sense? And, and so that's, that's a conversation that comes up. But then if that one doesn't work, then there's a, a trusty backup, which is, you know, why, why is hell a thing? Why, why is there such a thing as eternal damnation if God is 
as loving as you're telling me that he is. So you're telling me that, that if I was guilty of just a single white lie, if I, if I just said one lie, that I would be considered guilty and punished and, and sent to hell forever. And to that, I think the, the proper response would be, do you really believe that you are only guilty of a single lie? Is, is that really the only thing that we need to be dealing with here? And, and that would probably stop that, that conversation a little bit. But as we go through the next few chapters, we're going to see some stuff that's hard to look at. There, there's some stuff that we see in these chapters that is it's brutal. And if we weren't so desensitized to violence it would be understandable that, that you'd almost need to turn your face away. That, that it would almost be too hard to look at rather than meditating on the Word of God. This is what we've been called to do. That, that some of the details that we're talking about here are grotesque. They're, they're bloody. They're violent. And yet, through the indwelling of the, the Holy Spirit in me, I, I can look and I can see God's wrath God's eternal punishment for what it really is. Not a vendetta against me, not, not something that is against me, but rather one more demonstration of love from a God who wants all to return to him. Like we talked about last week, maybe we as followers of Christ we are, who are called to evangelize, maybe this isn't necessarily the topic that we lead with when we're having these conversations with people, right? Maybe we don't start with eternal damnation as the, the, the opening salvo of our, our conversation for bringing people to Christ. But after we have that foundation of love, after we, we start from that place of love and relationship that maybe comes from hospitality, right? That thing that we were just talking about. Once that ha has been built and is in place, not through ulterior motives or, or you know, trying to, to be sneaky or conniving about it, we then are, have the ability to come to someone who says, oh yeah, I, I can hear this from Tim because I know that Tim loves me. I know that Tim wants the best for me. And because of that, Tim's sharing his concern that I have chosen to place myself under the judgment of God. And that's what it is. It's a choice to place myself under the judgment of God. God doesn't want you to be there. And that's, that's the answer to this question of if God is so loving, then how can he be so judgmental? How can he take this stance towards me? And it's the, the fact of the matter is God is not taking that stance towards you. You have, have taken that stance towards him. And because you have chosen to sit under the wrath of God, he's going to let you. And so we look at these things. We look at the, the book of Revelation. We look at chapters 15 and 16, and we, we talk about blood pouring down. We talk about all of these sores that are going to break out on people's bodies. We talk about all of these different events. And we say, man, why does all this stuff have to be in the Bible? Couldn't this, can't this just be a little bit easier? Does it have to be this bad? Yes, it does have to be this bad. 
If I'm a follower of Christ, then I should be encouraged once again that God's mercy is new every morning. And if you aren't a follower of Christ, you should be encouraged because all you are going to hear from me this morning is an invitation to come out from under the wrath that is being talked about here. At the end of the day, it's a matter of choice. So before we get too far there, there are some reminders that we need to, to kind of go over in regards to the book of Revelation. When we're studying the book of Revelation, first off, we remember that the book of Revelation is not a linear unfolding story, right? We don't get to look at it and say, okay, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and it all happens in this chronological order. Not the way it works. It's this series of windows that we look through. And we know that because in one of the windows that we look through, it was the birth of Jesus that happened 90 years before. So that doesn't work for chronology. So we, we know that. We know that the imagery that is given to us in the book of Revelation is meant to, to hook us. It's meant to grab us. It's meant to draw us into God's ultimate reality. And an example of that is if I just, if I stand up here and tell you the devil is out to get you. The devil has plans for you. The devil is there to ensnare you. It would be so easy for us to think of like that, that little guy sitting on your shoulder. It would be so, so easy to think of, you know, some guy, you know, dressed in red and with a pitchfork, you know, kind of running around. That is a different picture than a dragon that is trying to devour you. It just does something different inside you, right? When you know that there is a beast, a dragon that is trying to devour you, you run away or you fight. If I'm just talking about this little guy sitting up on my shoulder, then it's like, eh, whatever. It is important for us to have a clear understanding of just how dangerous, just how violent our enemy is. How are we to think about the enemy of our souls? Like a dragon locked in conflict. How are we to think about the demonically informed state, the demonically informed religious institutions of the day that would teach false religion? How are we to think about those things? We're to think about them like two beasts that want to kill and destroy us. And the final point that that comes to, to understanding, not just the book of Revelation, but really all scripture is that it cannot mean for us what it did not mean for them. And I've said that a few different times. And this is the quickest way to cut through nonsense interpretations, not just of revelation, but of anything else. Now, let's be clear. Application of the book of Revelation will absolutely be different because the application of this letter written to the church in 96 AD is going to be a little bit different than the application to church of 2023, right? That the application is going to be different. However, God's truth does not change. The truth that God is conveying across all time and space is always true. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Now, okay, God doesn't change. Our understanding can change. Our, our time, the, the events that are, are going on around the church can change. So, so yes, there are things that are different, but it can't just all of a sudden up and have a completely different meaning. And so that should help us when we look at this and say, well, how did this apply then? And now how can I apply it today? So there's this literary device that, that gets used in the book of Revelation. Um, literary devices are just a, a fancy English term that is talking about you know, different tricks that writers use, different strategies or tools that, that authors will use to accomplish the purpose of their writing. And the literary device that is used in the book of Revelation is called recapitulation. That's not a church word. That's just a, a fancy English word. And you probably know what recapitulation is if you've ever watched The Lord of the Rings. So let's talk about The Lord of the Rings for a minute. Um, if you have watched The Lord of the Rings movie, you understand what recapitulation is because you watch the movie thinking that it's over, and then it's not over. And then you get to a point where, you, oh, well, it must be over now. But it's not over, and it keeps going again. And they've just conquered the castle, right? They, the good has triumphed over evil. Everything looks like it's exactly the way it should be, and then out comes Frodo out the back of the castle, and you're like, oh, great. We have to go again. And, and then, okay, well, finally, Frodo throws the ring into the mountain and, and everything's on fire and, and they're like just passed out on the side of the mountain and the, everything fades to black. Oh, we're done. Finally, man, I've been in this theater for four hours. It has to be done now, right? No, it's not done. They, they, they move on to the next thing. And over and over and over again. The book of Revelation has been doing this since we started. <laughs> we have these, these three sevens that show up in the book of Revelation, right? We have, three, we have seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And so seven is this number of completeness, and, and three is also a number of completeness. So we have complete completeness. And so we have these three different sevens that are showing up. And, we, and when we get to the end of each of these sevens, it feels like there's this crescendo. Finally, we made it. It's over. Everything's done. And it's like, oh, but wait, there's more. So we have Revelation 8.1. After the seventh seal is opened, there is silence in heaven for 30 minutes. And the prayers of the saints are, are brought before God and we see this scene of holy worship that's taking place and we cheer and we say, yes, we made it through. But then we move on to the seven trumpets. Revelation eleven fifteen says, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. And everybody puts their hands up and says, woohoo, we made it. I just, I mean, that feels like the exclamation point that should be the end. <laughs> but it's not. So we have now these seven bowls that, that are being poured out, these seven bowls of, of God's wrath that are poured out on the earth. And it seems like, okay, maybe this is the end. And we come to the, the final statement here. It 
is finished. But it's not. (laughs) There's even still more to come. Recapitulation is being used, and it's being used. What's the reason? Why, why is it that you keep on having this recurring process that's happening? It's used to reinforce. It's used to remind. It's used to emphasize. So if you read the text about the trumpets, the, the judgments that, that come with the trumpets, and then you read the text about the bulls, you're going to see that there's a lot of similarities that exist between these two sets of judgments. The first trumpet is blown, and it's hail and blood and fire that's killing millions of people. The first bull is poured out, and, and sores come, and they attack the, the body and of those that are living on earth. And what we see is that the the first trumpet and the first bull both attack life on earth. The second trumpet and bull both affect the seas. The third trumpet and bull both affect the rivers. The fourth trumpet and bull affect the sun. The fifth, the the pit of evil is the trumpet and the throne of evil is the bull. The sixth trumpet and bull affect the river Euphrates. And so there's, there's all of these kind of close relationships that exist between these. And if we think back to the seals and the trumpets, those were specifically events that were called to uh, point out specific perspectives. They were, called out, they were calling out cosmic events that were, were taking place. The, the first in terms of the seals, shows us this perspective of God's church. This is what the the church of God is going to be going through as these events are taking place. And then the trumpets are are the experiences that are are being gone through by those who have chosen not to follow Christ. Those people that haven't made the decision. And if we look at the, the bulls, that are being poured out out of God's wrath, we see that there's another perspective. So we have the perspective of the, the church of God. We have the perspective of those that have been lost. And then we have the perspective of from heaven itself. And this is when we have that obligatory reminder that this interpretation of Revelation may differ from that of the Left Behind series. (laughs) And that's okay. Biblical prophecy doesn't stop at the initial recipient. It's applicable to the people who first received it. But because God is all-seeing, because God is all-knowing and all-powerful, the words that God gives are not just relevant to the people that just received it. They're relevant to the people 100 years from that time, 200 years, all the way to us today, all the way into the future. They are relevant. They are impactful. They are life-changing. And so now here we are with this seven-bull judgment that's being talked about, seven bulls of wrath being poured out that seem very similar to the trumpet judgments that have already taken place. And it would seem that a point is trying to be made here, that there's maybe something that we're supposed to get from this. 
And so, if we're seeing all of this similarity, and it, we're, we're seeing this from these different perspectives, it, it seems like there's a possibility that these are actually the same judgments that are taking place. That, that there, the seven judgments that are taking place are seven different perspectives of this, the same things that are happening. That's, that's very possible. Now, let's pause for a minute and say, well, well Matt, isn't it possible also that there's going to be some time in history where blood and hail and fire rain down from the sky onto people? Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just go here, guys. Uh, yes, that, that's very possible that that could happen. But am I going to be the one who's just default saying that, yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But what I know is that this book wasn't just written to say, hey, there's something that's going to happen sometime in the future. Let's just sit back and wait for it. This was written to encourage the church and to initiate action. And so this has to mean something more than just waiting for fire and, and hail and blood to rain down from the sky. There, there's more to it than that. Maybe there will be literal bulls poured out from heaven. I don't, but it seems like there's a lot of symbolism that's, I mean, we just saw a lot of symbolism being used to describe the birth of Christ, right? We saw Mary with, with the sun and the moon and the stars and on all of these different symbols. That was symbolism to talk about an event that was taking place. So maybe this is symbolism too, and there, there's something more to this. So to recap, we have this overarching story of redemption where man is rebelling against God. God is pulling man back into right relationship, out from under the consequences of that rebellion. And so we've seen it from the perspective of the suffering church. We've seen it from the perspective of those who have no intention of returning. And now we are seeing it from the perspective of heaven itself. That's that's the, the way that I read this. And so the wrath of God is real and just. That's, that's the first point for us to look at today. The wrath of God is real. And this gets to our earlier comments that, that we were, were talking about, those, those common arguments that we have that, that come up that the punishment being held doesn't fit the crime. Revelation 15.5 says, After this I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. The Old Testament book of Numbers talks about this specific place. This is the place of the tabernacle where the presence of God was. This is where the moral law of God was. God came into this place, and from this, moral law was given to the people. So from what perspective are we seeing God's wrath? We're seeing it from the perspective of God's holiness. The, the presence of God, the, the moral commands of God that are meant to lead to human flourishing rather than human destruction, that's, that's where we're seeing this. So that's why regardless of how good you might be, you fall short. Because I'm not comparing myself to, to Todd down the street. Sorry if your name's Todd. Um, I'm comparing myself to the holiness of God. 
I mean, any time in the Bible that someone is given, uh, is even in contact with an angel. You know, we talked about angels to, to begin with. You know, an angel isn't manifesting their holiness. They're reflecting God's holiness. And even that we see time and time again when, when an angel comes in contact with a human being, the human being immediately falls to the floor and the angel has to remind him, no, don't worship me, worship God. So this angel is just a, a pale reflection of God's holiness. How can I even stand to compare myself to that? The holiness of God chases out the perverse, the wicked. Anything that refuses to acknowledge is his presence, his purpose, his perfection. The reason we see the wrath of God being poured out on the earth is because we think we're a better God than he is. And that's an uncomfortable thing to say. And it's probably an uncomfortable thing to hear. Why is the wrath of God being poured out on the earth? Because humankind has shown up and says, we think we're a better God than you are. The arguments that were made before about why evil and suffering are in the world, about why hell exists, those are coming from a place that, that requires a, a specific standpoint. And it, that standpoint means that I know better than you. How is it possible that we can have this level of argument with an eternal God? And true, if the argument is being made, in, that point isn't going to resonate for those people that are making that, that, that argument. They're not going to acknowledge the eternal nature of God. But how can we then turn and try and assert our own authority in any situation? Because so often we show up and we say, man, I, I think I would have done that differently. Dude, you, you failed your, math last, your last math class. Why, why are you thinking you can show up and run somebody else's life? Why are you thinking you can show up and, and have some eternal perspective on this conversation? Maybe we should just let God do this. So how does, this, how does this play out in everyday life? Romans 1, 18 through 20, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. God has made himself known. That, what this is saying is that God has made himself known and humankind turned around and said, no, thank you. Romans 1 is saying that you don't have to grow up in the church to know that there is a divine presence that is, is pursuing you. You don't have to grow up in the church to know that there is such a thing as sin. And that sin is worthy of wrath. 
And you know that because if you look out in the world, you see the, the people that are lost in sin, that are drowning in sin. They're drowning in shame. They're drowning in despair. They're drowning in anxiety and depression because they are, are drowning in those choices that they are making. But instead of taking it to God, they're suppressing it. They're saying, I don't need to take this to God. I'm fine. I can just deal with this through whatever chemical I can put in my body. I can just deal with this through whatever I can look at on the screen. I can just deal with this myself. I don't need God. I'm just fine, thanks. While the whole time I'm falling apart because of all of the choices, the bad choices, the sin that I'm bringing into my own life. That is the consequence of me being my own God. And that's how we get conviction that leads to all of those bad choices. Instead of accepting the invitation that has freely been given. Because all along, God's not saying, oh yeah, you should probably go deal with, with that stuff yourself and then come to me. No. God says, I'm right here. Come out from under that thing. You don't, you don't need to be lost in, in those particular areas. I'm, my grace is enough. My, my grace is sufficient for you. And so it's, it's in this choice of, no, I've, I've got it, thank you. I'm going to suppress everything that, that God is calling me to, and instead I'm going to do this on my own. It's in that choice that God's wrath comes about. And it's not a matter of, of me just minding my own business and, and God's wrath coming out of the blue and to, to ruin my day. No, there's more to it than that. If, let's read John 3.16. We all know John 3.16, right? God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. I like that. That People have that tattooed on their chest, right? I don't have it tattooed on my chest, but, but some people do, right? That's a common thing. People like knowing that God so loved the world that he gave his only son for me. God loved me so much that he gave his son for me. And then we really like John 3.17 as well. People, maybe not as many people have that one memorized. That Christ has come into the world not to condemn it. Oh, good, we, we don't like condemnation. That's great. Let's stay away from that. Not to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. So how did we get judgment from all of that? How is it that wrath is coming about if God so loved the world that he gave his son and that God didn't come into the world to condemn but to save? Then where did all of this judgment come from? Well, glad you asked because we have John three nineteen that tells us, and this is judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Judgment came because I chose it. Well, that was a short hop and a skip from John 3.16, right? So wait a minute. So God so loved the world. God's not choosing to condemn the world. He's choosing to, to rescue. And yet John 3.19 is saying that even in the midst of God doing those things for me, I'm still choosing wrath instead. This judgment that we're talking about, that we've talked about through all of Revelation, is our choosing, is the choosing of those that have not made the choice to, to follow Christ. 
But the good news is that there's a way out. One quote for us this morning. It says, The wrath which the angels are about to pour out upon the earth is a pure and sinless wrath, priestly in its function and golden in its integrity. No bestial passion, no spite, no hate, no anger of sin at all in it. The holiness of God is destroying anything not under the blood of Jesus. What's interesting is that the wrath of God is aimed primarily at the dragon and the beast. That, that's what the, the wrath of God is aimed at. And yet, when we choose to join forces with the dragon and the beast, then we receive that as well. I mean, you... you can't even really process that decision-making. Like, hey, these are the guys that are getting attacked. You know, I'm going to go with them. It'll be fine. (laughs) Hell was created for Satan and his angels, not for humankind. And I don't think we we necessarily understand that. We don't talk about hell very often. Why don't we talk about hell? Because it's not comfortable. (laughs) Right? It, it's not comfortable. It, it, that's not the feel-good Mother's Day message that we all came here for today. Hell was created for Satan and his angels, not for humankind. And what we see here are people saying, hey, I'd like to go there with them, please. That's the choice. And, and we don't put it in, in you know, stark contrast like that very often, but that is the choice, is, hey, I'd like to go to hell with them, please, is the choice when we choose not to follow Jesus. In Revelation 16, verses 9, 11, and 21, we see where people who are experiencing these judgments that are coming down, when they're experiencing the wrath of God, they turn and they curse God. They curse God for what they're going through. They blame God for what he is doing to them and call him the author of their suffering when in reality it is their own decisions, their own choices that are creating those problems. Our accusations, the accusations of the lost reveals the wickedness. And you may be hearing this and feeling like, man, this is feeling like a little 1950s fire and brimstone. Like, this isn't 1950s fire and brimstone. This is 2023. I want you to come out from under the wrath of God and be saved. I want you to have life. I want you to have the same life that God is calling you to. And the good news here is that the wrath of God will eventually be finished forever. God is love, and that will never, ever change. But God's wrath has an expiration date. Revelation 15.1, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with him God's wrath is finished. Revelation 16, 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. 
Now, is there anywhere else in the New Testament where there's something said like, it is finished? I feel like I remember it somewhere. Um, John 19, 28 through 30. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine that was with vinegar was there and so he soaked a sponge in it and they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. There's this echo that's coming from John. And that echo is there for a reason, that that the work that Christ did on the cross, saying that it is finished, the wrath of God has an end date. And that end date changes based on when someone makes a decision to follow Christ. The wrath of God is finished if we choose to step out from under it. I've made the decision to follow Christ, and because I have made that decision, the wrath of God is not towards me. If you are a follower of Christ, we have to stop suppressing the truth and step into that which Christ is calling us to do. We've been invited to partner with Christ in bringing about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And that means that we cannot suppress the truth through wickedness, like it says in Romans 1. If there are areas in my life that need to get dealt with, then I need to do that today. That needs to be something that is done. And maybe you've never made that decision to follow Christ before. And all this talk about dragons and beasts, it feels a little strange, but there is a part that is inside you that knows that the sin, the choices that you have made are wrong and that there is a consequence for them. That's not just common sense. That's just not your human nature speaking. That is God pulling you to him saying, there is a better way. There is a better way than your best effort. And this morning, I want to invite you to step out from under the the wrath that is your own choosing and step into life, and not just life, life abundantly. Step into life at the fullest. There is a Savior who gave everything for you. Let's bow our heads right now. Father God, we come this morning and we recognize that we are in need of a Savior. God, we we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you chose to redeem your children. God, you so loved the world that you gave your son. And we come this morning and we we receive that gift. And God, for those of us that that have made that decision, that have made that choice to to follow you, Lord, we ask that that you would would cause us to be mindful of those things, those areas in our life where we we suppress, where we say, oh no, I don't need to deal with that today. 
We have those things that, that need to be dealt with, that need to be pulled out so that we can continue in the mission that you have called us to. And Lord, as we move into that, cause us to release, cause us to let go. But God, I also come this morning and I just ask that if there would be anyone who has not made that decision to follow you, if there is anyone that says, I, I've been doing it my own way and my own way has not been working. If that has been the, the story of your life is, is time after time after time of your best efforts coming short. If that is something that, that is real in your life, then we're going to pray this prayer together right now. And if you are sitting at home on a couch and it's just you, you can still pray this prayer. If you are, are sitting here in this room with us this morning, you can pray this prayer. If you hear this five years from now and whatever channel shows up in the internet, you can still pray this prayer today. Jesus, right now, I ask that you become the Lord of my life. You are my Savior, and I thank you for your sacrifice for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. I receive your grace and I confidently believe that my life is forever changed. Jesus, help me to live for you. My heart and my life are open to what you have for me. I wanna know you. I wanna know your ways. I want to love people the way you love people. I want to love people the way you love me. God, everything is submitted to you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for, you, for your hope. Thank you for your unfailing love towards me. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 